Hello and welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary. This week I spoke with Sebastian Junger. Sebastian Junger is an American journalist, author and filmmaker. He's known for his books, The Perfect Storm, A True Story of Men Against the Sea, War and Tribe. His latest book is called Freedom and it's out now. He's a fantastic uh, writer and I often cite his book Tribe because of his description of our evolutionary history as a species and the way that our social models should be reflective of that. Now that Under the Skin is on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review for us telling us how good we are and giving us five stars you don't need to mention jenny may finn if it helps you um we'll read them out like for example this one russell go on good podcast if you'd like to listen to the rest of this podcast all you have to do is uh, we don't read those reviews out jenny you never give me any if no, you'd like not to... for the public feed oh yeah i read them out on the podcast yeah if you'd like to listen to the rest of this podcast and all my weekly under the skin podcast all you have to do is subscribe to luminary on apple Podcasts or download the luminary app it's as simple as that also i have a meditation podcast available on there as well so you get two for the price of one free if you consider dave Chappelle's midnight miracle podcast which is also on there on my above the noise uh, podcast i do meditations guided meditation different one each week they're great in this conversation with Jungar, we talk about social reform my skepticism around social reform within corrupted systems we talk about localism and the necessity for decentralizing power we want to get money out of the system we both agreed on that have a listen Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand Under the Skin. The last 30, 40 years, I mean, I can't think of anyone who you feel like, well, is this person going to lay their life down for what they believe in? Or is this another career politician who's ultimately interested in the maintenance of relationships between Silicon Valley, big tech, big government, big pharma, administrating in a manner that's all too familiar? And I suppose I feel, personally, because I've like, well, customarily would have identified with the left, you know, just from a bohemian and artist perspective, now, like, I. Uh, I feel that there is a requirement for a kind of new populism and I feel that that the conditions that led to Trump are interesting and the conditions that have followed Trump are interesting and it for me shows that there is a sort of an appetite for real change and even though I believe that the change that was offered through Trump was rhetorical and incendiary as opposed to political and financial and he belongs to a sort of a, an ideology and a sort of a stable that's never going to meaningfully empower ordinary Americans I but because we have a comparable thing over here we had sort of like Brexit it wasn't sort of packaged around a figure but a sort of a movement that was somewhat isolationist and retro nationalistic and and like and I feel a kind of if not an affinity with the expression of that emotion I feel an affinity with that emotion and um, now what I want is to uh, advocate for a type of politics that is representative of the needs of what I would categorize or characterize as ordinary people without any condition placed upon their sort of racial sexual or religious identity but a sort of a banding together in much in the spirit as you uh, that you described there without you know that blitz i mean of course i'm like not old enough to remember but like i sort of in living memory i had sort of grandparents and stuff that spoke about that time 
and it seemed that there was a sense of a common enemy and something to stand up for and i'm sure you could like tell that story very differently and point out sort of imperative sort of uh, economic imperatives that were being pursued and colonial ideals and hypocrisies but it seemed yeah that on some level the ordinary folk were pursuing something something meaningful there and 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 a return to this is something that you know obviously without a bloody war and a holocaust and the concomitant nightmares that accompanied it is something that you know that for me seems important you know so this is a big you know this is a big request it's a big ask it's a big project but if you just theoretically if you wanted to sort of reform society and 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 i think it desperately needs reform right i mean i think uh, we're, we're headed towards some very tough times if we don't start to live differently, um, at, you know, at every level. So there's a website that I found called Front Porch Nation, right? And basically, they, they're slightly conservative in, in a way that I sort of like, even though I'm a liberal, that I kind of like. Like, it's very smart, compassionate conservatism. But they're advocating for localism, communitarianism, you know, from a slightly conservative viewpoint. And it's so refreshing, right? It's fantastic. So if you could implement a kind of localism and communitarianism uh, and, you know, an anarchism at the local level, right? Uh, and then if you could couple that with purging money and corruption from politics, how? I don't know, because politicians are not going to want to do that because they depend on that money. So how do you get them to do it? I don't know. But just theoretically, if you could do that, if you have localism coupled with clean, cleaning money out of politics and then finally making it a political sin to cast the, en- the, the, the political opposition as an enemy of the state. I mean, that's where you start to get fascism, right? My father grew up in Spain, uh, and he fled when Franco came in. And what Franco did that Trump failed to do, Trump failed because he didn't have the military behind him. Franco did. And what he did was basically say the progressive coalition that won an election were enemies of the nation. Right. They just weren't well, they weren't politically on the other side of the fence of Franco. They were actually enemies of the nation of Spain. And therefore, they could be gotten rid of by any means necessary, including killing them. Right. So that kind of rhetoric where you cast your political opponent as an enemy of the state opens up a can of worms that really leads towards fascism. And so if you did those three things, localism and you got money out of politics and, and you um, so heavily sanctioned that kind of contemptuous, aggressive speech from politics that it, it, it paid negative div- dividends politically, I think you could save our modern democracies, right? So just to move on from, from what you said, that to me, in, in short version, is what we would need to do. I've written them down. I've written down those ideas awesome. like because <laughs> I've got big plans, Sebastian. Um, but I love what you said about the, the removal of contempt. That should not be part of the discourse. Once you have contempt for another person, it's the beginning of legitimization of persecution and even yeah. e- execution. Uh, I think what you're saying about localism is vital that most people, as you know, if you, we've discussed, live lives where they feel alienated and, and purposeless. And I feel that engagement with your community is absolutely vital. And I would add once more that the the sort of centre-left media machine did a lot of, what do I want to say, vilification of like what you might call ordinary trump voting folk as well like it was just a, a machine like you know and, and like one of the things that i was uneasy about is like this is nearly half the population what's going on like there's this can't be even john yeah. stewart i know he's clearly a, a liberal man 
And I would, again, that's the, if I had to pick a side, it wouldn't be the Republicans, I have to say. But like, you know, even John Stewart was saying, there's an infatuation with Trump and Trumpism and it's sort of being like, you know, because of for all sorts of crossing vectors, like the, the, the stuff on the CNN's a media entertainment company. There's their media does well when they talk about Trump. You can see them sort of needing yeah. to talk about Trump because, yeah. oh shit, otherwise it's banal. How content is banal without this sort of yeah. evocative figure that, that, that they sort of hanker after and loathe and, and are sort of conflicted about. But yeah, I, I feel you. Those are some great principles. Localism, money out, the end of lobbying, and a sort of a kind of a commitment to end contempt. One of the things that I sort of I got from like a, a man called Luke Kemp, who's a sort of a, a, a sort of a, a, a doctor and an academic around existential crises of all things. He talked about how like the, 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 the globally emergency measures have been introduced around the pandemic that are have you not yet haven't been repealed yet and it's possible well, we won't ever see repealed and that these emergency measures are frequently harbingers of t- tyranny and he even cited that the weimar republic prior to the rise of national socialism was introducing a lot of these emergency measures and sort of even napoleonic or immediately pre-napoleonic france and you know i think that these i think that this problem is bigger than any individual bigger than both parties and requires a kind of a fundamental almost universal address of what our values are really because i think that we actually live within an ideology that's much more expansive than what we're being offered that is a sort of a fundamentalist consumer capitalism that does not abate regardless of which one of those parties flips in like obviously that that system could withstand trump it withstood trump it can withstand biden it withstood him it can withstand like what it clearly didn't like the look of was Sanders what it, and like and I had like Marianne yeah. on here Marianne Williamson and I go do you yeah. think that the Democrat party would rather would have rather lost uh, to, with Clinton and had Trump than won with Bernie Sanders and she said that, oh my God. that is what she felt <laughs> that, happened yeah well thanks thanks for the easy question yeah I mean I, well <laughs> but, my friend Sarah Shays, who I mentioned uh, on corruption in America, she she would she would absolutely say that the left is so in bed with corporations that they would actually enjoy rather enjoy Trump for four years than have the fig leaf stripped away. Uh, I mean, the left is horribly elitist. They're enormously wealthy. They are not. Um, they are not for the common man, the common person. I mean, they used to be, right? I mean, there was, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, the left wing was very, very solidly pro-labor, right? And it was a working class party. And they were for the common man. And they ceded that territory to the Republicans that then horribly misused their responsibility to the common man, right? So now nobody is standing up for that person. And, uh, so, you know, I would I would say that someone like Bernie Th- Sanders is enormously threatening to the establishment of both parties. I also found that some of his policies, although enormously admirable to the extent that I looked into them, I was sure he had quite like, you know, done the done the numbers and figured the, you know, you know, figured the numbers out sufficiently to implement these wonderful policies, you know, like without raising taxes, which is sort of, uh, you know, politically, you know, a death sentence. So I'm I'm not quite sure he actually had the answers, but he certainly had the ideas. He certainly had the ideals. Um, and I think they were, I mean, Sarah for sure would say, oh, totally threatening to the left wing. And they would never, they would never back someone like 
Bernie Sanders. He's just he's gonna he's gonna take their money, and they don't want they don't mm. want that. Yeah, yeah, because. When looking at where their sort of economic resources are for meaningful social change, you don't even have to impede the the middle class anymore. Now you're talking about a sort of a tiny percentage of the population being meaningfully taxed, even if you want to operate within a sort of a centralized statist model. Um, So... uh, Hey, do you want your book about freedom, your new book? What's yeah. it about? If you're enjoying this conversation, join me over at Luminary on Apple Podcasts for the rest of our discussion and for all the latest episodes of Under the Skin. 